0: Hello, welcome to the podcast of First Church. I'm glad you could join us. This message is titled, Put Your Mask On First Before Helping Others. It was preached by our senior pastor, Timothy Wisnet on Sunday, February the 27th. I pray you're blessed by this word once again today. Amen. If you have your Bibles and will turn with me, amen, to the book of Acts chapter number 2 amen. We call this the Pentecostal headquarters, Book of Acts, chapter number 2, and we are going to begin at verse number 1. I am sure that you have heard this scripture, amen, at some point, point. and if you've been here at any length of time, you've heard this a lot, amen. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse number 1, and I want you to read this aloud with me. Hopefully, some of you could even quote it, but I want you to do it with some gusto, amen. I want you to... I don't want you to read it, amen, like you're standing in in, in front of class unprepared. I want you to read it with a roar this morning, amen. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire set upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost as the Spirit gave them the utterance amen and that's what happened at Pentecost amen God moved in such a great way and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost came upon the church amen then I love verse 36 as we jump down there therefore let all the house of Israel know as surely this is Peter preaching. Now, when they saw this happen, uh, they they saw all these 120 up there speaking in tongues, 17 different languages, acting like they were drunk. Amen? That's what they accused them to say. These folks are on new wine. and made fun of them. Amen. Um, You know, they used to make fun of us growing up. They called us holy rollers. Because we did. We rolled around. Uh, we, We were too dignified for that now. I mean we used to I used to cringe when when I was a kid and I had somebody because our rule was if they stayed the night at our house on Saturday night they had to go to church on Sunday morning and so I'd always try to get my friends to stay on Friday night because man they'd get wild and uh, they made fun of us for all that because they couldn't understand it now, now Pentecost has become mainstream you know, everybody's talking in tongues and but back then 40 years ago, we were all demons for doing it. But now everybody's accepted it. Amen. The worship has been, it ain't what it was in mainstream Christianity. It's been homogenized. But they would have never done that 30 years ago in their churches. But they do now because Pentecost has arrived on a global scale. Amen. And we can talk about the pros and the cons of that. And so they saw this happening. And they said they're drunk. And then and then Simon Peter begins to preach. And he preaches a fiery red-hot sermon. Amen. They prayed 10 days. The Holy Ghost fell and Peter preached 10 minutes. Now we flipped it in this generation. We'll pray 10 minutes and want 10-day sermons. But if we want Acts 2 power, we'd better have 10-day prayer. Amen. Verse 36. Now this is, this is Simon Peter. He's winding up his message. Amen. He says... Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus who ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Their response was, okay, we need to be saved. How do we be saved? And Simon Peter says it in verse 38. Then... Peter said unto them. He's responding to, what do we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all those that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And you knew Peter was an apostolic preacher because just when you thought he was ending, he preached again. And with many other words, did he testify and exhort saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls and they steadfastly continued and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And in breaking of bread and in prayers. Verse 40, Amen. Again says, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves. Now we don't know what the many other words, we don't know exactly what he said, but I got a feeling they were born out in the epistles. With many other words that he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves. Everybody say, save yourselves from this untoward generation, amen. I'm not gonna give you my title right now. I'll give it to you in a little while so it'll make uh, clear uh, sense to you then. But if you would, would you just pray with me for a moment? Let's ask the Lord to move in this place in a great way. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. Lord, I thank you for the tremendous worship that is in this place, for the victory that we feel in this house right now. For there is freedom, there is liberty, there is joy, and there is peace in this place. I pray that you would anoint me this morning, God, to speak your word as you have given it to me. Lord, I pray that it will not fall upon stony ground, but let it find fertile soil in the heart of men and women in this place today that we might leave here changed by the power of your word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Praise God. Why don't we give the Lord another praise before we're seated? <clears throat> Hallelujah.
1: Hallelujah.
0: Hallelujah, Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. You can be seated for a few moments. Amen. The most important thing you're going to do in your life is be saved. The most important thing you're going to do in life is be saved. Look at somebody and tell them, don't miss an opportunity to be right with God. Salvation is important, important. Salvation is the theme. Of the entire Bible, 66 books threaded together with one common theme. God loves mankind and God wants to save us. God never needed us. I want to be very clear about that fact lest we get lifted up in ourselves. God never needed any of us. No, it's better than that. God wanted us. Let let me say that again. God doesn't need you, but God wants you. In other words, you're more than something that is just a necessity. You are a desire in the heart of God. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. I need water, but I desire good coffee. Amen. I need protein, but Elder Henderson, I desire bacon. Are you with me? I need shelter, but I desire a penthouse at the Ritz Carlton. Are you with me right now? I, I may need transporta- You may need transportation, but I, I'm still waiting on that. That. Uh, uh, 2,500 GMC Denali, amen, because I'm not dropping 90 grand on a truck, amen. (laughs) I want it, but my needs have me in a Dodge, and I love it. Are you with me? God didn't just need us. That wasn't his point. He wanted relationship with mankind. So from the dust of the earth, he formed man in his own image then he breathed into their nostrils the breath of life and that that clump of Dirt became a breathing, living organism. But it was more than just living because the birds live and the flowers live and the fish live and everything live. But on the inside of us, He created us in His image that there is an eternal being within us and it is our soul. It is the spirit of man. You see, God had all the worship he wanted because he had all the praise he wanted because he had created angels to do that. But he created man. And he said, I'm gonna give them the freedom of choice. If they don't have to, I'm gonna let them. So you don't have to worship him this morning. We get to worship him this morning. Oh, Hallelujah. Because anything can praise God. God didn't want more praise. He had all the praise he could handle. The angels were created to worship him. They fly around the throne rooms crying and singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amen. The earth is filled with his glory. Amen. The angels fly throughout the throne room of God continuously in praise. But what God desired was more than praise. Because even David said, let everything that hath breath Praise ye the Lord. Amen. The trees are praising the Lord. The bees that pollinate the flowers, the flowers that are rooted in the soil, the soil that is laid upon the rock, the rock that is laid upon the internal core of the earth, all of the earth spinning on its axis is praise unto God. But what God wanted was more than praise. He wanted worship. And worship can only come through a relationship. And he said, I'm going to have a relationship with a bag of dirt that can breathe. And if that thing will love me, I'm going to love them in spite of themselves. I want a relationship with them. See, God didn't need you. God wants you. So I gotta tell somebody this morning, you are loved of God. You are overwhelmingly loved by God. He, oh, He loves you. I'm preaching to a lady in this house this morning who is struggling with the inadequacies of her own features and her looks and thinks I'm not beautiful enough, I'm not good enough, hey amen. Nobody can love me with my mistakes and my scars. I'm too skinny, I'm too big, I'm too tall, I'm too short, hey amen, my hair is not this, my face isn't that and you live with a great insecurities, hey amen. But what you are doing is you are looking, maybe you don't realize this, but you're looking to God and saying, God, you didn't do good enough. You messed up right here. I'm the only bit of imperfection on the earth. But what you don't realize is you were made in the very image of God. And how you are is how God loves you. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. I don't care what Vogue magazine says. I don't care what the latest trends out of Italy and France is. What really matters is that God Almighty loves you. He loves you. He doesn't need you. He wants you. He wants you so much that when Adam and Eve broke the blessed covenant with God, I told somebody this week we were trying to figure out where to have lunch in San Diego, and uh, kept asking uh, Mrs. Carol Adriana curl They were saying, "Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go?" She kept saying, "I don't know. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me." And I said, "Well, you know why." Women can never pick a restaurant, don't you? Because they innately know within them the last time they chose a place to eat, it damned all of humanity. (laughs) Look at somebody and tell them, you can laugh. That was funny. Amen. I can see people clutching their chests online right now, being offended. It's a joke. And they broke, they broke communion with God. God was angry. Not because they failed. Because if God didn't see that coming, then he's not God. He wasn't angry that they were failed, that they had failed in sin. As much as he was hurt that he now had to separate himself because a holy God does not dwell among unholy things. God separated them from Eden. He He told Eve, he said, now you're going to bear the pain of childbirth. I think every woman getting to heaven is going to walk up to Eve and say, good to see you, mama. Why did you do that? <laughs> and no man in here can understand why a woman is going to go up to Eve and grab her by the throat and say, now before I walk over here and start praising God, why did you do that? Because. <laughs> and, then, and then he told Adam, he said, "Now, now you have stepped out from my eternal provision for you. Now you're going to have to work and live by the sweat of your brow. Amen. And it hurt God. It grieved God. But, but did, did man try and turn back to God? No. Man went to its most instinctual, basic, animalistic nature. And that your flesh will always take you further from God. This is why you must die Daily. Because your flesh is always going to take you further from Calvary, not closer to Calvary. Till we get to the point where in Genesis we find that God said he repented that he even made man. He said they got so wicked I didn't even, I didn't even think they could be this wicked. And God said, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe the earth out. And I'm going to start with a righteous man and a righteous woman. And so we know the story of Noah. You see, the Bible is a story of history of God's divine attraction and affinity for mankind. You see, God loves you. That everything he ever did, he did because of you every sacrifice in the temple was for you. Every burnt offering, every blood that was shed from an innocent animal, that was done for you and because of you. Because God in his heart has an eternal divine yearning that cannot be explained in mere human words to have a relationship with mankind. And after thousands of years of blood sacrifices given by innocent animals. God spoke up and said, the time is now. I will go and redeem them unto myself. You see, it wasn't God, it didn't take God thousands of years to figure out what to do. I've never believed I get people say, God, for 4,000 years, try to find a way. No, God already knew the way. He just waited for the right time. See, timing is everything with God. And he shows up when at that time humanity was at its most depraved and its most wicked. And the Bible says that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld him as the only begotten of the Father. That is who Jesus Christ is. He is the eternal God made manifest in the flesh. And he didn't come as a warrior. You already know this, I know you know it, but just bear with me. He didn't come as a great warrior or a politician. He didn't even come as a great charismatic leader, but he came as a lowly peasant servant. He didn't come as a lion, he came as a lamb. This had always been in the design of God for the Bible said, He was the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. Your life is being designed by an all-knowing, ever-loving, merciful God. The book of Hebrews, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not Seen. For by faith we know that the worlds were framed. The word worlds there does not mean cosmos which is the Greek word for earth or the universe. That's not what he said. He didn't say for by we know that the earth was framed. He said for by faith we know that the worlds the word worlds there in the Greek translates to eon or time. For we know it, that by faith, that our time has been framed. Innocent people in a courtroom will stand up and scream, I'm innocent, I've been framed. I'm going to tell you, I'm guilty, but I've still been framed. I've been framed by the word of God. God is putting the borders. He's putting in the edges. He's putting in the limits in my life. He is trying to bring into focus in my life and into frame everything that he wants to do in my life. In other words, you may say, but I want my frame to be limitless. It can't be because you're not God. Amen, but at the frame, he can point and he can say, I'm gonna bring you to this point and I'm gonna take you to this horizon and he can also point at the frame and say, devil, you can't go any further than that frame because I have all." And so the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth comes in the form of a lowly servant. And he's born, he's born, as a, he's born as the lamb, a man slain from the foundation. John the Baptist would declare, behold, the lamb of God who taketh away the sin. John the Baptist understood the lamb was gonna be a sacrifice. And Jesus gave his life. He walked on this earth 33 and a half years, a perfect, sinless man. Not because he had divine flesh or was not tempted. He was tempted at all points like we are. He knew what it was to hurt. He knew what it was to hunger. He knew what it was to be disappointed, betrayed. He knew what it was like to be loved. He knew what affection was. He knew what all of the human emotions, through the whole scale of it, he knew it, but yet he overcame sin. He knew not sin. Then we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we see him praying. And he says, Lord, if it be so, let this cup pass from me. And I, I do not believe that he was speaking about Calvary because he knew he was going to have to go to the cross. I truly, in my heart of hearts, I do not believe that Jesus was asking a way to get out of Calvary. He knew it was his lot in life to give his life as a lamb slain. But when he said, nevertheless, Not my will, but thy will be done. He wasn't speaking about the cross. He was speaking of the cup because that's what he asked to be passed from him. And what was that cup? Amen. What was that cup? Because he who knew no sin was going to have to become sin. He was going to have to take on sin for each and every one of us. I hope this isn't too simple this morning and if you would just imagine because in my simplistic mind this just is the way I see it I can see that all the sins of humanity past and humanity forward had been absorbed into a sponge amen every sin, every murder, every rape every lie, every everything that had ever been done wrong and against the law and the nature of God had been placed there and if, as if it were God took that sponge and he wrung that thing dry into the cup that every sin, everything, every vile act that had ever been committed had been placed into that cup and set before the Lord Jesus Christ and that holy, sinless, spotless lamb looked into a cup of humanity, sin and depravity and he looked up to heaven and he prayed until his sweat turned to great drops of blood as he lifted his voice and he saw the sin and the murder and the degradation of mankind all the way back from Cain and Abel all the way to Hitler all the way to modern day he saw the worst of the worst and Jesus looked in the cup and he said if there be any other way let this cup pass from me but Jesus also knew if I'm going to wash away their sins I must take on their sins and the precious lamb of glory took the cup to his lips and he who knew no sin became sin and the apostle says that he took my sins and nailed them to his cross he died on that cross let me be very clear God did not die on that cross Every Easter I cringe when I turn on social media and I I think we mean well, but I see a lot of Christians saying today we celebrate that God died and rose again. Anybody with third grade education is going to tell you God can't die. Because if he's God, he's unkillable. But the manifestation laid down his life. That flesh died, but God didn't die. No, no, God in Christ didn't die. No, no, God God in Christ put on a three-night revival. Because when he said, it is finished on the cross, what we didn't hear was his spirit leapt off the cross and said, but it ain't over. And he descended into hell, and for three days and three nights, he preached to those lost souls in captivity. Amen, I, I, I like Carmen. Carmen had a cool song. He said Sunday's on its way, but his theology was a little off because he said that uh, uh, basically hell was partying. I, I, I don't know, hey, amen. You're gonna have to, I don't know how hell could be partying when Jesus is down there preaching. And I don't know what his text and I don't know what his title and I don't know what his notes were. Hey, amen, but I'll tell you what, it probably went something like this. You didn't think I'd ever get here. You didn't even think I'd come. You tried to destroy me. You started with the first Adam. I'm the second Adam. You you tried to destroy me, but I took my lineage through a harlot named Rahab. You tried to destroy me. You tried through Athaliah. You tried to wipe out the royal seed of David, and you got down to one little boy. And if you'd have wiped out that one little boy, I wouldn't be here today. But Satan, you messed up because my plan is greater than your plan. And Jesus stood there in the belly of hell, and he declared that I am that I am. I have come to set at liberty those who are captive. And Jesus led a riotous revival three nights in the belly of hell until that first Easter morning when the gravestone was rolled away and the Bible said that the dead gave up the firstborn, Jesus Christ, the firstborn brethren among the dead. Oh, I know it's not Easter, but I feel like preaching right now the resurrection because up to that point the womb of the grave could only receive but never give but on that Easter morning the womb of the grave began to contract I said the womb of the grave began to contract and the grave began to shudder what is happening I'm built to receive but not to give And all of a sudden, the labor pain started hurting. And all of a sudden, the womb started contracting. Amen. And pardon if this is a little too graphic. Amen. But God sends an OBGYN angel, amen, to the womb. And he rolls away the stone and there's a great earthquake. Amen. And Jesus steps out of that throne, out out of that tomb. And he steps out and he's resurrected. And he's being in the process of glorification. And he steps out as the earth trembles. Amen. And the Bible says he's the firstborn among many brethren and you know why that gets me excited this morning because ain't no grave gonna hold this body down Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren in the womb of the grave I'm not going to die and lay in a tomb until my boat, bones bleach for all of eternity. But there's coming a day in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump of God, the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Salvation is important. I hope this isn't too simple this morning. He rose and he walked on the earth for several weeks. Then he finally tells them in Acts 1, he says, Go tarry in Jerusalem to you be and do with power from on high. And I'm giving you the Reader's Digest version of this. And he says, uh, go, be tarry, go, go to Jerusalem tarry till you be and do with power from on high. Amen. And they all looked at their smartphones and said, God, uh, I've got too many things going this week. You know, I've, I've got, uh, you know, after all, I've got this and I've got a knitting class and, you know, I've got Pilates and yoga and, you know, I, you know there's a series I've been wanting to watch on YouTube and all of this. And how long are we going to be tarrying, Lord, because I really need to work this into my schedule? <laughs> they didn't care. They didn't get an end date. Jesus didn't say how long. He said, you just go and wait. You just go and tarry. See, we've lost the art of tarrying in the church. I remember when the elders of church used to say, We're gonna tarry, we're gonna tarry. And I remember, I remember being a little guy and sitting on the pew and laying there on the floor, looking up at the pew above me, going, Dear Lord, we're gonna be here all night. And you know what? We would be there all night until God showed up the way that they expected and God did what he wanted to do. I can remember being in church, amen, until 12:30 in the morning on Sundays and Wednesdays, because they wouldn't and they wouldn't stop. They didn't let you go to the bathroom. You didn't get 15 bathroom breaks while they were tarrying. You laid there, you cried, and it always wasn't out of prayer, sometimes you were just miserable and hungry and wanted to go home, but they were still tearing and waiting on the Lord until God showed up and did. what. I wonder how many miracles we miss as a church because we got too many things to do. It's not in my notes, this is free, it won't cost you anything, but I wonder how many times we miss the miraculous because we are so programmed, amen, that we got to start at this time and end at that time. And we miss the miraculous because God is saying, if you really want it, wait on it, pray for it, tarry on it a little bit, seek it, go after it, Seeking, you shall find, Knocking, it shall be open." I don't know about you, but I feel like knocking this morning. I'm gonna knock till my knuckles bleed. I'm gonna knock till I wear my fingers to my wrist. But I'm gonna keep on knocking until I get what God has for me. All the modern, all the modern teaching to preachers now is: make your sermons about twenty minutes long. People don't receive anything after twenty minutes. Well, maybe in your dead, twice dead, plucked up by the roots church. Twenty minutes is all they can handle. They got sermonettes for Christianettes. Maybe over there at the first church of the Frigidaire where many, many are frozen and few are thawed. Maybe over there a 20-minute sermon is what they need. But I'm going to tell you right now, when the average Hollywood movie is an hour and 58 minutes and nobody leaves their chair, i got to ask the church, why do we get upset when a preacher goes 50 minutes? either we get an appetite for God that is stronger than they've got an appetite to be entertained I'm not talking about being long winded just to be long winded but I'm talking about preaching until heaven moves and does what God wants to do amen I'm glad I'm not in an itching ears church but I'm a part of a church that loves God and loves his word Hallelujah. I was somewhere preaching a few years ago and the pastor, you know, God bless them, they try to run their service, you know, just not get, we, we want structure and all that. And he told me, he goes, man, worship ran a little long and we well, you know, about four minutes over and what we want. So we, you know, you, you're, you got about 25 minutes. And I looked at him, I said, well, it's gonna be a waste of your time then. I don't even get started after 25 minutes. I'm just warming up. I I, I cannot, is this all right this morning? Because I cannot understand for the life of me why everybody's in such a hurry to go back to hell. Because everybody in this place will admit that when you're in this house, you feel so close to God, your burdens are lifted. You just love being in the presence of God. Then why are we in such a hurry to go back out there? I just don't get it. They tarried until they were endued with power from on high. And then we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when the Holy Ghost fell upon the New Testament church. People watched them speaking at least 17 different languages. They marveled. And the only conclusion they could come to was they must be drunk on new wine. You say, I know what you're doing, preacher. You're trying to get us all filled with the Holy Ghost. Kind of, but I'm really trying to get you drunk is what I'm trying to do. on the Holy Ghost Me- meaning that see, see what intoxication is is when your reality begins to skew I need your I need your doubt to skew I need the reality of your world to skew just a little bit to where you say overwhelmed, impossible, can't do it defeated, amen I need the Holy Ghost to fill your life so strong that you start feeling 10 foot tall and bulletproof like you can whoop anything in town and say I may be sick but I'm not out I may be in the fight, but I'm not defeated. I may be persecuted, but I'm not distressed. I may be troubled on every side, but I'm not gonna be defeated. Hallelujah. I gotta be saved. Simon Peter preached it, how you get saved you got to repent. Repent does not mean confession. Repent means to turn away from. A lot of what we call repentance today is nothing more than lip service. We say repent before the Lord. No, I'm sorry for what I did. Okay, well, I'm glad you confessed it, but repentance doesn't take place in the altar. It's not fulfilled in the It begins in the altar. You confess it with your mouth, but when you walk out the door, some actions have got to happen to turn it around because repent literally means to walk in the opposite direction. If you were going north you go south. If you were going west you go east. If you were going up you go down. If you were going down you go up. Where at whatever you was you ain't. He said repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sin, not the permission of sin, the remission of sin. That means the removal of sin. Because you can confess your sin all you want and you can quit trying to sin all you want, but until you get that sin removed and up under the blood of Jesus Christ, amen, all the repentance in the world can't help you. Because salvation doesn't come at repentance. That's why he said, he that repenteth and is baptized... He said you repent of your sins be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and and you shall receive the gift because people you love you gift them things you shall receive the gift of the holy ghost and with many other words did he testify and exhort saying save yourselves from this untoward generation I forgot what time I started, but I'm trying to to round the corner here. I can hear stomachs growling. Save yourself. You see, of all the things God can't do, or all the things God can do, there's one thing He can't do. And God can save you from anything except one thing He can save you from drugs. He can save you from alcohol. He can save you from promiscuity and illicit lifestyles. He can save you from all of that. But Simon Peter said there's one thing he can't save you from. He can't save you from yourself. Am I in the book? Because Simon Peter said, save yourselves. That doesn't mean I die on a cross and I baptize me in my own name and I take my own blood. That's not what he meant. What he meant was simply this, that God can save you from everything, but if you are going to be saved, it's gonna take you wanting to be saved. Every day, you gotta wanna be saved. Acts 2.38 gets me saved, but the rest of everything else in the epistles is what keeps me saved. I'm saved in obedience to Acts 2.38, but I stay saved by being obedient to every other word in the book. So he said, save yourselves from this. Brother Nate, can you bring me two chairs up there real fast? Bring, bring them, put them right here. He said, save your." From this untoward yet right there's good generation. At some point, listen to me. At some point, the enemy's gonna send people into your life who you're gonna think you're saving. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. The devil's gonna send people into your life that you think wanna be saved and you'll use all your energy trying to save somebody who won't even save themselves. Now, from this point on, I just want to qualify one thing in my message. I believe in evangelism. And I believe you need to be a soul winner and a disciple maker. But you need to pray for wisdom and discernment between those that want to follow Christ and those that want to waste your time. because you cannot allow yourself to get a Messiah complex that think you can save everybody. He said, save yourself from this untoward generation. I have been meditating on this. The Lord has laid this message on my heart for quite some time. Matter of fact, I think I even told our minister, I'm working on a message months ago. I'm going to preach called The One Thing God Can't Save You From. And and it developed into this. And if you'll come with me. Come come here, Brother Reuben. I was sitting on the plane Wednesday. Can you open one of those up for me? You got two hands. I've got one. I'm sitting on the plane Wednesday. and, and, And I'm not saying this to, I need that little thing. Can you plug that in for me? You're smarter than me. And I'm sitting on a plane, and, and I. How many? How many's been on a plane before? How many besides me cannot stand those stupid announcements that they do? It's like they say, "Now to fasten your seatbelt, insert the flat end." And, to, and I'm sitting there thinking, "How about raise your hand if you don't know how to buckle a seatbelt?" So we can all ask, "What's wrong with you?" Right. How about raise your hand? If you will not know how to buckle a seatbelt and we'll get a cane pole and just crack you across the thigh real quick. Because come on, everybody knows how to put on a seatbelt. And you got some people, Lucy, they'll just, they're listening like, really? Like they just discovered pie. The math equation, not the food. Or either way, whatever works for you. And a stewardess, most of them, you can tell, they're as bored as we are. Every once in a while, you get one of those uh, uh, really zealous uh, flight attendants because you can't call them stewardess anymore. It's not PC. I don't know what they're going to call them after flight attendants. I think they should call them hostage takers. Because where are you going to go, right? Where are you going to go? And i have my headphones in. Look, look, I, I, I have flown over one and a half million miles in the last tw- 20 years. So I know the speech. And so I put my headphones in and I'm listening to something. And every once in a while you get that zealous flight attendant walk up and go. You, you go, back, go back and look in the log sheet and right beside my name, Timothy James was it. You're going to just go, and it's going to show me as a million miler. I have heard this before. You know, we do the same thing in church. We can tune out the preaching and say, Oh, I've heard this before. But sometimes I need more than what I had heard before. The Bible said, How shall we escape except we neglect so great a salvation? So I'm sitting there Wednesday morning and I'm listen. I'm tired. I went to bed about midnight, got up at 3:30. Drove all the way to the Denver airport, and I'm telling you, it was a blizzard. I've got pictures of it. It was 7, 10 below zero. It was so cold that I couldn't even put my arm up on the windowsill to dry because, for one, I was white-knuckling the steering wheel, and two, it was so cold I couldn't get enough heat on my arm. And so I'm sitting there like this, and the stewards, and I've got my iPad out, and I'm, I'm reading a book on my iPad and I pull one ear headphone out, and, and, and I've got it just in case they want to say something. And I'm sitting there in the aisle seat. I'm sitting in seat 1F, which is my favorite seat. It is the very front seat of the airplane on the right hand, on, would be right hand side facing the cockpit. You want to know why that's my favorite seat? Because I'm the first one off that cotton-picking plane when it lands. I, my wife hates traveling. I want to be the first on and the first off. Why not last on because everybody take the the overhead bins where I'm trying to put my stuff. And then when the plane lands, I got to walk eight rows back to grab my stuff against traffic and making everybody mad. And so I'm sitting there, Brother Ryan, and I'm reading this book on my iPad. And I hear the stewardess say, we have your attention as we make some announcements. She goes through her spiel. And I look up from my book about the time I see her say, in the unlikely event that the cabin pressure, the cabin should lose air pressure, oxygen mask will fall from the ceiling. I see, I know the speech. Take the oxygen mask, placing it around your nose and your mouth. Now I'm not going to put it over my head. Securing it to your face with the elastic bands. Put it on you first before helping others. And when she said that, I felt the Holy Ghost nudge me. And I want to preach for the next 10 minutes. Put your mask on first before helping others. you better learn that the most important thing you're going to do in this life is making sure that you have saved yourself. Because until you've saved yourself, you can't save anybody else. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Oh, some of you, the enemy's got you so sidetracked. He's got you chasing rabbits down all kinds of trails to where you're neglecting your own walk with God. But I've come to sound a voice of clarity in your life. Seek Jesus first. Put on your mask before you start helping everybody else. Why do they say that? Because if you can't get oxygen into you, you won't be able to help your child get their oxygen mask on. And what good are you going to be to anybody else if you're blacked out in the aisle because you were trying to help? Some people, listen, God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Don't you dare go to hell because you were so busy trying to fix everybody else's problems trying to save everybody else that you forgot to put your mask on first. What I'm trying to say is uh, get involved like you've never been involved before. What good is it out there trying to win the world? If you can't be at prayer meeting, what good are you doing trying to win the world? If you can't get involved in reading your own Bible every day, you better put on your mask first. Jesus said, for what profited a man if he should gain the whole world but lose his own soul? I've come to preach to somebody this morning. You may feel like you got a tiger by the tail, but I've come to tell you, unless you get salvation for yourself first, you're no good to anybody. The first soul you need to win is your own. Oh, you got a plan to take the world. Good. Start start in your own house. Jesus said before you pull the splinter out of your brother's eye, remove the plank from your own. Before you come clean in my house, make up your own bedroom first. Come on, don't don't listen to, I'm preaching you the straight truth this morning. There's a lot of people going to hang on you and try to weigh you down and try to distract you from being saved and all they are is a tool of the enemy that while the plane is going down and the cabin has lost air pressure, you're so frantically busy trying to help everybody around you, you can't even see that your head is already losing and spinning out of control because the first responsibility you have is to save yourself. Before you save the world, save yourself. When you have a confidence of your own salvation, you'll become the greatest soul winner this church has ever seen. I am convinced the reason why some folks never win anybody to the Lord is because they never truly believe they're saved. And if they're not convinced in their own salvation, they'll never be able to convince anybody else to be saved. I implore you this morning, put your mask on first before you help anybody else. Go ahead and lift those hands to the Lord. Once you believe and you know truly beyond a shadow of a doubt, once you know down in the deep of your soul that you're truly saved, once you know, really, really know you're saved, then you'll want to tell everybody else about it. I'm not preaching this out of anger. I'm not trying to make you mad. I'm not trying to make you feel small. I'm not trying to upset you. I'm not trying to belittle you. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. The reason why we're not as effective in reaching others to be saved is because we're still trying to convince ourselves we're saved. So this morning, I want you to put your mask on first. And then once you have your mask on, then I want you to save others. But make your calling an election sure. <laughs> Stand with me as I close. The Holy Ghost is here right now. Paul wrote to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning of verse 26. He said, I therefore run not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth at the air. I'm not shadow boxing. He said in verse 27, but... I keep under my body and bring into subjection, least by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. In other words, Paul said, I got to get my mask on first. Because after all I've preached and all I've done, I'm still in danger of being a castaway myself.. I felt like the Lord spoke to me this morning in the office, affirming this word in my spirit. And I felt like He impressed in my spirit and said, if they could ever believe that they're really saved. If they ever get their mask on first, they can help save the entire plane. And I close with this. Brother Alonzo, there's a reason that the stewardess will say this. She'll say, although the bag may not inflate, oxygen is still flowing. You know why they say that, Sister Priscilla? Because they know human nature. They see a bag, it ain't filled with air, they're gonna panic, think mine's not working, pull it off and kill themselves trying to get their mask on. I feel like there's a lot of folks in this room, I don't know who you are. You have the mask on but you're panicked because you don't see an inflated bag. And you can't help others because you're not truly convinced that there's really oxygen coming through that thing because you don't see the bag inflating. For we are saved by grace through faith, not of works lest any man should boast. Quit looking at the bag and saying I can't save anybody because my bag's not inflated. I'm not sure I'm getting the air myself. Trust what the steward has said. Even though it's not inflated, oxygen is... Let's trust the word of God. Although you ain't seeing what you want to see, when you want to see it, how you want to see it, doesn't mean that God's not at work in your life. You've got to trust the process. Put on the mask and then help somebody else. Would you lift your hands and your voice right now? I feel the Spirit of the Lord stirring in this place. I want to open these altars for anybody, anybody this morning, anybody this morning that wants to put the mask on first, who wants to make sure that it's tight, that it's sealed. Come on, put your mask on first your mask on you're going to help somebody believe me there's plenty of people you're going to help you're going to help save people on your row you're going to help save people in your family you're going to help save people in your neighborhood but God said I just want to make sure that you got your mask on first before you start trying to save the world make sure you've saved yourself Thank you again for joining us, the podcast of First Church. We're so honored and delighted you could join us today, and uh, we want to stay connected with you. So please give us a follow. You can find all of our social links on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also download our mobile app from there, and we would love to stay in touch with you on Facebook or on Instagram, and we hope that we can see you again soon.